as we open up the Word, and I'm going to open up to the book of James this morning, do a couple of pass, a couple of chapters in James, James chapter 2, and then James, a little in James chapter 4, so you can turn there. Father, thank you for who you are and that we are comforted and we're strengthened and we're guided, Lord, by the fact that your mercies are new every day. Your grace is more sufficient than every, ever, any need that we'll ever have. God, you give greater grace, greater grace than our insufficiencies, our need, our, um, how much we mess up, how much we're wrong in our attitudes, our thinking um, with you and with others often. And, uh, but we're grateful that your mercies are beyond that and your grace is that with those, Lord, who trust in you, depend on you, and whose walk, Lord, before you is one in humility, taking the yoke of Christ who gives us the grace to share his yoke, the one who says, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest to your souls even as you're bearing the yoke in your life, in, in your youth, and in your old age. We're grateful to you that it's you that began this work. You're the author of our faith, and you're the finisher of it, and you will not cease to do uh, and to continue to do your good work in us until the day of Christ when we see you face to face, and so we can honor and trust you and, um, and follow you. You direct our steps. God, you're alone worthy, you're alone able to see everything, the beginning from the end, and you're alone to produce in us any good thing that comes out. Glorify your name today. We extol you, we honor you, we give you praise, and we're asking, Father, that you'd mold us into your image, change our minds, let our thinking be um, enlarged, our vision be enlarged as we see more of Christ and allow you to have your way in me, in us individually, and in your church as a whole, which you are building, and in the local body that we call our home church, Lord, of which we are members. We thank you, Father, for that. Do open our hearts and show us wonderful things out of your word to instruct us, to exhort us, and to encourage and comfort us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so you see there's a, um, a little bit of a title there. Wow, there's three things. There's, it almost looks like there's three different sermons there. Where's this guy going with this? Um, the Royal Law, Family, and the Great Commission. Well, I kind of you know, a little bit of an idea of what, of what those terms are, but what the heck, how do they, how do they relate to each other? Um, well, you may, you may see that um, probably at towards the end of this message um, uh, and where we're going to go, and, and, I'll, and I'm going to give you a couple of uh, personal stories that I think are going to put this thing together. And I'm, it's really, this morning is more of a, a talk. I'm going to give you uh, these couple passages of scripture that we can contemplate. They're very practical for us as um, people who are part of a family, with which we all, are, we all have a natural family. I mean, you wouldn't be sitting here today if you didn't have two parents that came together and produced you. Um, 
and you wouldn't be here today spiritually and be a part of the, the body of Christ unless somehow the seed of God's word entered into your heart and you responded to that with a willing heart and with, with faith, as um, the scriptures say. So um, we're his children and we're his family. And um, um, and what does that look like when we meet together? I'm going to... I'm gonna, um, let me just uh, uh, begin. I'm going to share in uh, James chapter 2, if we have that up on the screen, um, the first um, 13 verses or so, James chapter 2. And by the way, I'm well aware that there's crockpots burning in the back too, so I'm going to make sure that we end right at the, on time at the bottom of the hour. Um, because I get hungry too, and uh, I know what it's like when you're smelling the dish and you want it to be served. Um, so we're going to be good with that um, today. Um, and uh, maybe maybe this um, um, I, I mean the subject here today is uh, very I think uh, powerful and intense, but yet I think the message will and the delivery may be pretty low key because uh, because it is. Um, a message that is um, highly personal as well as urgent. Okay, so that's two keys right there. It's it's personal and practical, but it is urgent, and um, that's where we come to the Great Commission. How many of you know what the royal law is? When we talks about the royal law, James speaks of that here in James chapter two. What's he talking about? It's a commandment that Jesus gave in the Gospel of John, specifically. And James here quotes, he calls it the royal law, and then he quotes a verse from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And, um, and what was that? There you go. Love your neighbor as yourself, which is Leviticus 19.18. And remember, Jesus said that that was the, the great commandment of all the commandments actually there's uh, you, some have said that he boiled down the entire Old Testament which according to the rabbis there's 600 plus some rabbis will say you'll, you'll read 613 commandments some will say 627 and it depends on how you want to count them and number them there's a lot of repetition but let's just say okay over 600 plus different stipulations and commandments and statutes in the law of Moses, the Torah. And Jesus, speaking to Jews, coming as a Jew, comes to them and, and uh, a young man, a young Jewish man comes and asks him, Lord, what's the greatest of all the laws that there are? And he gives this answer very quickly um, and very simply, that you shall, uh, well, I think he asked, what do you think? Well, um, and he quotes, uh, the Shema, Shema Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, and 6, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You have to think, too, <laughs> to know what you're doing. And all your strength. And, um, and so, Jesus, this is the greatest law, because when you've done that, um, you know, uh, the Orthodox Jews could boil it down to 10, and these are the 10 words of Moses given that Moses delivered on the tablets at Mount Sinai. Jesus boils it all down to one or two, 
Ravi Zacharias used to say, it was one A and one B, one part A and B, because it's both love, but love to God and then love to others. And James brings it down to the practicality, like First John did, that you can't say you love God and not practice it and to see it lived out in your life with those that are right there in front of you. If there's a need there in front of you and you just pass by it and say, oh, brother, man, I really feel for you. I feel for your pain. I'll pray for you. And you've got uh, some bucks in your pocket and you can help them out and it's not going to hurt you. How does the love of God dwell in that person? He asks that question. If it's not in action, it's not love. Now, those of us who are men are a little bit more hard-headed and bull-headed and hard-hearted to understand that. The women get that more because the woman's going to say, I've heard the words. <laughs> Where's the deed? <laughs> you know, And uh, the words don't make no difference. Nothing if you're not pursuing her heart and not connecting with her. And she knows when you're not connecting with her, when you're all about yourself doing your thing. And you're not connecting, see, because she, she's more apt to know, more quick to understand when there's not love in the relationship um, than the guys. Maybe that's why God commands the man, the husband, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Because he needs the instruction to, to get refocused on the fact that what you are doing and accomplishing isn't just about you to accomplish and do something. There's a reason and purpose for it, and it's about others. God has gifted you and giving you abilities, talents, both spiritual and natural talents and abilities. Some can sing beautifully. Some, some as they say, can't carry a tune in a bucket. And, you know, some are good with their hands and can build a building. Um, some are going to stumble over the tool, don't know a saw from a, a file. And uh, you don't want those guys building the airplane that you're going to go up in uh, two miles up in the sky. But God, God uh, he's, you know, we're gifted differently, right? We need each other. Uh, but, the, but there's a purpose for the, all that. And the purpose for all of it is relationship. And relationship, there isn't going to be any relationship and there isn't going to be any unity in the two and in the community of all of us without love. First of all, it's got to be with God because without a relationship with Him, you've got nothing in you to give out to the next person. He's the source of the love. And if you're not walking in Him and in constant communion and fellowship with Him, you, 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 it, it's all a facade. It's just going through the motions. And that's why Paul says, brothers, do not love others. He says, let your love be without hypocrisy, is what he says. And hypocrisy is just a simple word that means to play act, a play actors. Play actors, and this was before we had film and movies and videos that now we can all carry on our hip pocket. They acted out on stage and live audiences outside and told stories that way. Shakespeare in the street. And the play actor was called, the, the word was a hypocrite. It wasn't a bad or a derogatory term, it's just what it was. When Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites, he was calling them play actors who were pretending to be something that they really weren't. And what Paul is saying, love each other, but without being a play actor or a hypocrite, but really love. And it's not just a feeling that 
Uh, I have some nice warm feelings towards you. I just don't know what to do with them. It's actually action in motion because I'm choosing to value this other person and put myself down on my hands and knees like Jesus did with that bowl of water and began to wash their feet and value their life and serve them, the God of creation and the God of all um, the angels and men and the God of everything, humbling himself and valuing those that he created as more, that their life is more valuable than his own. How, how else can you define love any better than that? And if we're not doing that, Paul says, you're not loving, really. And love is the binding thing that binds it all together and makes gifts and um, talents and everything that we do meaningful and fruit-bearing. And without that, you have nothing. So Paul says that love is the perfect bond of unity that binds it all together and cements everything together. Without that, we are sounding brass and clanging cymbal. That's Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians 13. So, um, all right, all of that just to say, just to introduce. Um, now, before I, be, before I read this little bit from James, I want, I, want to, I want to preclude that with something here. I want you to know that this, this book of James, who the author is, this is the James, he wasn't the James that was one of the 12, the, son, the brother of John and the son of Zebedee. This is, this is James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus himself, who uh, didn't even believe in him until after Christ's resurrection, didn't know him as the Lord and as the Son of God, knew him as a, as a, as a brother physically, grew up together with him in the household. And what I'm, a, you know, some people have referred to the book of James, just five little chapters, and they've referred to the book, to the book of James as the Proverbs of the New Testament because it hits on a lot of different things. It's practical. It's about the here and now. It's about how you relate and do things, everything from work to how we view other people to how we serve other people, and it's practical. You don't tell me about your theology and, and, and unless, you're, unless you can show me that you're demonstrating it, then I'll know it's real with you and that you have something that's meaningful and constructive to, in somebody else's life. That's the way, that's a man who's a man of truth. He's a man that has his feet on the ground, but his head in the heavens and his heart with the Lord Jesus, but his feet are on the ground. There's a man of God. Now, as I, see, as I read James, and I'm thinking that this guy walked with Jesus, didn't know him as the Lord until later, and his life was transformed. Remember, they all thought he was mad? They came to, um, it was a house of uh, Peter's mother-in-law. They said, get this guy. The crowd was so big they, the, that the family couldn't even get him to get him. Would you please tell, send him a message that his family are here and they want to take him home? And, and Jesus' answer to that was, who are my family? Those who hear the word of God that I speak and do these things. That's my mother and my brother and my sister. Uh, they said, he's and, but the mother and the brother and sister that were standing outside, wanted because they, they were embarrassed about him. They were, thought he was embarrassing himself. We'd go, he, and they said, he's gone mad with his talk. He thinks he's He's something, well, the whole world that was following him, the crowds that were following him, thought of him as something that was supernatural and otherworldly. 
and they thought, now, now we're going to think he's going to be uh, a candidate for the nut house. We need to get this guy home, you see. Uh, so they didn't understand who he was. But James, as I'm reading the book of James and how practical it is, but how powerful and potent it is, James, I believe that most of what James is going to tell us here is what he heard Jesus say growing up as a kid and how you treat your friends. You don't slap them and put them down when you don't like them. You don't do this, you don't do that. And, and that, that all the talk about the law and the prophets, which you're going to learn in synagogue and the teaching there, is going to mean nothing unless you're really doing it here. And here's where it applies. And I believe that James, he got that. He got these words directly, not only from the Holy Spirit's unction, as the Spirit of God guided them to write the Scriptures, but he got it firsthand living it with the Lord growing up. Keep that in mind. None of the other writings, none of the other epistles have that benefit that James had. He got it from Jesus himself growing up with him and walking with him. So look at, listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, as believers in, glorious, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. Let me give you an example. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and there next to him there comes a poor man who's in uh, shabby clothes, and he also comes in. And if you now, if you show special attention to that man that's wearing fine clothes, and you say, "Hey, buddy, um, come here. Have hey, you, you you take the seat right up here, up in front." We got a, good, a place for you. We want, we're going to give you special honor. Um, for what a reason are we going to honor that man? Because he has a better place in society, is because he has more money to give us and to contribute to the church, because we might get something in return for it, or just because we think that he's achieved something that the guy in, in rags hasn't achieved? What are the reasons for that? How are we valuing others? Well, he's shooting that right out from under us. We're, we don't, we can't, we're not to value people on uh, their looks or their outward appearance. Um, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, um, we got a place for you back there by the door, you know, uh, so nobody will have to see your shabbiness. Um, you stand here, you sit on the floor by my feet, and you, you make the poor take this, take the, um, you make the poor one take, take the position of a servant, of the servitude, and you make the rich one take the position of the guy who's on the throne, the most important place in the uh, congregation. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Be very careful when you say, I know what that guy's thinking. Well, you're not God and you don't know what that guy's thinking. You might think you know what that guy's thinking, but we're not to treat people like we think we know what they're thinking. We're to treat others as the way Jesus treated us and he commands us to. Um, and, and then we deal with the behavior that comes out as it's, as it's manifested. That's what a parent does. And that's what God does. So uh, can you hear the brother now teaching what his older brother taught him? Listen, my dear brothers, you're my brothers. God has, hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him. 
here it goes back to love. We're brothers and we have a connection with God because of his love for us and we're to love him. Isn't that what makes us valuable in God's eyes and as children of God? Because we have a father who has lavished his love upon us and he calls us sons and daughters, children of God. And that is why I am anything of value and it is the only thing I have to give to my brothers or sisters is his love in action, worked out in deeds. And the talents and gifts that God gives to you for that are given to be spent out on you, not for you and I to put on display to, for others to see, man, that guy sure is a good running back or a good speaker or he's good at this and that. It's not for you just to be put on display because the more you allow that to happen and your thinking is about what you are, the less it is on what God's vision is and what his plan and purpose is, which is to see the entire body and all of us be built up together in love. His vision is bigger than just you. And as soon as I forget that, somebody else is taking the throne, yourself. That there's the vision that's bigger than me and that's bigger than any one of us or all of us. And that is Christ who comes not to do his own will, but the will of the Father whose love is um, the purpose and the fulfillment of the entire law and defines who he is. Okay. Hasn't God chosen the poor, the, those who are poor in the eyes of the world? Notice that uh, they're not necessarily poor in God's eyes. Those who don't have a, a savings account or bank account or a 401k to retire on, not necessarily. Now, there could be some bad decisions in the, in the, back, in the back of that too, but God's value and his, his purpose is that he, those who are, have less of this world have are rich towards the things of God and the kingdom of God because they love him and not the world or the things that are in the world. Is it not the rich that, you're, that are exploiting you? Don't the rich, aren't they the ones who drag you into the court and, with accusations? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to whom you belong? If you really keep, well, well, the poor don't really have the a power ability to do those things. The rich do. If the poor became rich, most of them would do the same thing. They would persecute the righteous, but they don't have that ability. But it's interesting how that those that have the least are more often dependent on God. It's been said before that the most beautiful music, the most heart-filled and soulful music came out of persecution and suffering like black gospel coming out of slavery, like the Hebrew Psalms coming out of 430 years of slavery in Egypt. Because they were rich toward the, it, it drives us to our dependency on him. Now look at, we get to verse 8. And if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, here's what he calls the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you're sinning and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is become guilty of it all. You've broken it all. Why? Because you, 
you've in one point said, God, I'm going to do it my way. I think your, my way's better. I'll, it'll get things done quicker. And I'm besides, besides, I just think that uh, um, that your way isn't just. Justice isn't done right there. If I've got to forgive that guy that just did this to me, offended me, maligned me, hurt me, um, molested me, that's not justice. I'm going to take my stand on what I think and I know is justice, and um, that and and. And I'm, and I'm commanding you and demanding you that you judge that guy. And when we do that, we're not operating in love. Love um, is real when you can pray for the one that hurt you and persecuted you. Uh, you've seen it before. Probably you've seen the, the meme going around on Facebook that uh, love is demonstrated not in uh, uh, loving the uh, apostles who are following you, but when you wash the feet of Judas, who you know is about to betray you, there's where you're going to really see the demonstration of whether, of whether it's real or not. But if you show favoritism, the sins and convicted law, for whoever stumbles in the whole law, yet stumbles in just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. The one who said, do not commit adultery, also said, don't murder. And uh, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act. Speak and act, both together. Faith works. Faith works. Faith without works is dead, it's useless, and it's fruitless. He's about to get into that in the next paragraph. We're going to stop there, but I want you to see the connection here between love in action and faith in works. Faith in works is, faith worked out is worked out because of love and in love. You're doing the work because love is in action. It's more than just a, dia a theological dialogue between which is true, faith, does faith save or is, it, or is it works it saves or is it a combination of both and how do we reconcile all of that together? Look, if you look at the whole thing in its context, he's saying faith without works is dead and this is Jesus speaking through James, his um, half-brother, telling us that you can't do the works of God just by remote um, adherence to um, moral and ethical principles and laws. It's going to have to be intentional and, and love is an act and it is intentional and it's an action, not a feeling. And when you're loving through action, you will understand the relationship between faith and works because you can't have love with just rhetoric unless it's a reality and, you're, and you've had opportunity to live it. And God's going to give you opportunity to live it and see whether it's real in you or not. That's where the works comes in. If you don't have love in the center of faith and works, the one will never reach the other and never have any meaning. So speak and so act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy is going to be shown to anyone who has not been merciful and mercy triumphs over judgment what's he talking about when he says the law that gives freedom or the law of liberty as king james puts it the law of liberty well what's that it's not a law that says you got to do this and these are these are the required stipulations we're under a different law now as believers in christ the law that says i have been set free from sin 
the law of uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, which says that the life-giving principles of the Spirit in Christ Jesus have set you free from the law of sin and death. We're no longer under that law of stipulations, but now we live in a way that we've been set free from the punishment and the judgment and the condemnation that's due to us because of our sin. It's nailed to his cross once and for all, forever, and now I've been set free from sin's punishment and from its power over me. So because you are now set free from this, somebody paid you in full your debt to God, now, what are you going to do with that? Now, go forth and live that way. You're free. What are you going to do with that? Remember, Jesus told the story of a man who was forgiven a debt that was worth over a year's salary, whatever it was, $10,000, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. And he goes out and he finds a guy that owes him 10 bucks. He's set free. He, wouldn't, he would have had to go to prison for the rest of his life to owe the debt that he owed, which in today's world might have been million, a million dollars. And that guy st takes mercy. The king, his debt, his debt owner, took mercy on him and forgave him that so that he could go his way and just earn his keep and earn his own salary to take care of himself. And he goes and he grabs a man by the throat. He sees him walking down the street. Hey, I lent you 10 bucks a while ago. It's been about a year. It's about time you pay up. And he grabs him by the throat and he, and he wants to send him to debtor's prison. And when, the, and when his, his boss heard about that, he brought him in and uh, he made him uh, liable for all of his former debt, you see. That's the law of freedom. We've been set free from sin's debt and its power and it's over us. Now, what are we going to do with that? Are you going to look mercy triumphs over judgment. Can your love and that motivates you and binds you together with him be great enough where you can overlook the offense of somebody else who may just not be as perfect as you or th see things just as clearly as you and look with grace over that because God gives greater grace because he exalts the humble and he pulls down the proud. There is going to be love in action when you can look with mercy on the one who's very offending you and ask God to through you and through you not responding or reacting but being proactively choosing to love that then they will see that and that mercy will lead that one to repentance. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Mercy leads the offender to repentance. All right. Let me tell you a story. A couple of three weeks ago or four weeks ago. We're at our kids' house in, uh, in Davison and we're babysitting with the kids and we do that on Thursdays. And, and our oldest, um, who's about nine, I think she's nine, um, we were in the kitchen doing something or getting preparing something and all of a sudden we hear a, a scream back in the living room. Uh-oh, what's, you know. I wouldn't share this with you unless there was a good ending to it. And, and so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little leery about um, sharing to you about what the kids did wrong, and I, I, I sure do wouldn't want this to get back to them. But she, the way she responded and did the right thing, I, I saw God move. And so I'm going to use this as a, as a good example of good. Um, and, you know, 
I see, I've learned more, I say, I've learned more about God and about our relationship to Him and how we act with Him from raising two boys and now nine grandchildren than I did with nine years of schooling in Bible college. Now, that doesn't mean that all my nine years of school and learning the Word of God was not important, useless, and spiritual. It was. That I grew tremendously there. I learned from men, and I had men that was, were mentors to me. But I learned the relationship and the carrying out of it and what it means to live it out through living the life, through being married and finding out that I've got to die to me and through learning to serve a wife and to then to mentor the life that God's given to us. And how am, I, how am I going to get this into the kids? It's not just taking them to church. So anyway, um, we hear this scream in the living room when it came out there. And the, and the middle kid, a boy who's seven, is he seven? Is on the floor, doubled over, holding his gut, and he's all doubled over with his knees up to his stomach, and he's crying and screaming, what happened here? And, um, and she's on the couch very sheepishly, well, um, I kicked him. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why? Well, we had this game that we were playing, and, and, and if he got the, um, and I'd, I got to ask the questions, and I, and I and, uh, see, I, I get to control the game and all the rules and regulations. I got to ask the questions. If he didn't get it right, I got to kick him in the stomach. With, she's sitting on the couch with both feet, and she went right into his stomach in the gut. And he's like, I'm like, honey, I'm, we want you to have fun and play games, but that must not include hurting one another or hitting one another. You know, I know, I know, I know, I'm right. You're right, and she just needed to be correct. She was wanting the correction. She was willing. She received it, and later on, um, you know, she she said she was sorry, and uh, we got on. And we got past that very quickly. Then then dinner was served. We went over to the kitchen, and we're sitting there, and all the kids are eating. Uh, little Silas is still holding his stomach, <laughs> and he's still hurting. Uh, but he's fine, and he's and he's very quick to overlook uh, faults, but but. But she, um, our nine-year-old, is sitting over by the table, and she is not eating at all. She's sitting there holding her hands, and her head is down like this, just looking down, and she's troubled. She's not smiling. She's not happy. And so I could say, aren't you hungry? Well, no, well, not really. Did you eat? No. Okay, what's the matter? And I went over by, I got up and went over by where she, I, I, what's 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 the problem? What's the trouble? I'm, I'm I'm mad. Well, why? Well, I'm not I'm not mad at at him. I'm mad, I'm mad at myself. Just I'm mad at myself because of what I did. And she knew it was wrong because she would have never done that with mom and dad were home. But what was in her found opportunity and came out when no one was there, and uh, she knew it was wrong, and when it was exposed that she did the wrong, she saw it as wrong, and it hurt her and broke her heart, and she um, needed to be forgiven. I saw the opportunity there when a little nine-year-old girl sees and understands their old, their sinful nature that they have, of wanting to tear down somebody else in order to elevate themselves. That's a nature we all have. And she was mad at herself that she did that, 
but at the same time she's understanding that she can't stop doing that. And I see all that as an opportunity to immediately point her to Christ. That's why Jesus died. He died to forgive us of that sin. And then when you hurt somebody else, then you go, go to him. did you go and ask, uh, yes, I said I was sorry, but okay, now I want you to go next. First. I want you to go and ask him to forgive you. Um, it's just more than just feeling you're sorry, um, but we need to go and ask then forgiveness of the ones, that, and she did that. And, and then the little boy um, also, um, without even a second thought, yes, I forgive you. They want that. They want the reconciliation. They want to know how to, and learn how to do the right and wrong, but they understand that in them is not the ability to carry it out and do it. And it was a perfect opportunity to point to the work of the cross, that it's because of what Christ did on the cross. He's going to forgive you, and you don't have to feel bad about yourself and hate yourself. You have the cross, and the blood of Jesus is sufficient to wash and cover what you did wrong and to forgive you and act as if you had not sinned. When you bring that sin to him and expose it and bring it to the light, he will take it away and you will go forth from there. Is it gonna happen again? Yes, probably. And it'll be another opportunity again to say, I need his cross and I need it daily. And the grace daily. She learned a lesson. I learned a lesson of leading your children as God would lead us that we need dependence. We can't do good and right by our own recognizance, our own goodwill, our, our best efforts, and our own willpower. We don't even know all the muscles most of the time what the right and the good thing is to do because we're so filled with our own plans, which reminds me of another good saying I heard. I'll pass it on to you. You know, you know, how, to, you know how to give God a good laugh? You, you want to know how to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Because <laughs> it ain't ever going to work out the way you think it's that you're going to plan it. Right? Only the Lord can direct the steps. And only he is going to be able to use me as he is able to change me and work through me as I'm being willing to be a servant and used of him. Now I want you to flip over to chapter 4. And here, um, this goes along with it. Where, where do fights and quarrels come among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, you fight with each other. Down here on the, on the horizontal, we do that. I want this, you don't. You want that, I don't. Who's going to get their way? You don't have because you don't ask. But when you do ask, you don't ask. When you do ask, you do not receive because you're asking with wrong motives so that you might spend it on what your pleasures are. Um, I, want, I want that which is going to kind of justify me and show me that I'm, that I'm in the right and that God has spoken to me and that I, I have this thing, I got this call. And, and I, I struggled with that, always do, always will until Jesus returns and he's physically on the throne. These are opportunities for us to demonstrate and act in love. You adulterous people, now here's, here's the thing. Are we going to, are we... And here's the question that James asks and that we need to ask ourselves. Are we going to um, do things the way the world does or are we going to do things and get our marching orders from God and do things the way he does as the Father would 
and does and asks us to uh, treat one another. Um, and when we're not, when we're doing it our, our way, who's calling the shots? The world, and the world is under the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the evil one. And, you're, you're, you can't, and the two are at odds with each other. They're not in concert with each other. They're hostile. The world and Christ's kingdom, hostile. So um, when, we're, when we're being lured by worldly uh, methods and worldly um, desires, guess what? We're called adulterers. We're, we're, we're cheating on God, if you will. Okay? Uh, isn't friendship with the world hatred towards God? Anyone chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God, or do you not... Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit that he caused to live in us envies intensely and desires? He desires you. He desires your will and to, to control you, to have you, to have his life manifest through you. But he's not a bulldozer that just bulldozes in and takes over. He comes where there's a willingness and a desire. Soil in the heart that's ready and tender to receive the word. He is a gentleman, so to speak. He knocks on the door. It's up to you to open. When you do, you'll receive more than you could ask or think. But you've got to, in order to receive from him, you've got to let go of your right to control yourself. God's inviting you to do that, but it's up to you to believe that what he has for you is better than what you have for you. And to let him and let yourself go that way. And when we don't believe that, we're proud. We think we know better. And this is what James is saying here. Or do you think that scripture says without reason the spirit that he calls to live in you envies intensely, but he gives us more grace, more grace than our inabilities and our and our um, more than our inadequacies. This is where scripture says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I I need, I'm recognizing my utter inability and my need without him. Without him, you can do zero. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. These are the exhortations and the instructions of James, the apostle, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who walked that perfectly, served others, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, emptied himself for others, washed his disciples' feet, including the betrayer, and left his exaltation and his... And his um, message of reconciliation to the hand of God that would do his work in him as a willing servant. Humble yourself before the Lord. Take upon his yoke. Learn of him because he is meek and lowly of heart. But in this message, there's the urgency of heaven and hell, of God's kingdom and of the world, side by side that are hostile and fighting against each other. Watch that. Not everybody is a member of God's household. Not everybody is a part of the body of Christ. And those that are not are going to, um, in eternity, without him, and one of destruction. Let me share with you this story. 
and this might take a few minutes. So I, I made myself a liar because we're now at the bottom of the hour. But this story is going to put this t together, and I even have some pictures. We had the privilege of taking um, um, five of our grandkids to the Noah's Ark encounter this week, which was, I think, about the fourth time we were there. But it's new, it's new and improved every year. They're adding to it. And now this was a couple of weeks after the incident with, um, with our kids up here in Davison. And I was, I was sharing with her, well, Monday we're going to be going to see Noah's Ark. And so we started talking about that. And I pulled out my phone and I showed her some pictures of what it was like. They had never been there yet before. And she was just in awe of these pictures. And it showed, uh, this is the same girl that um, kicked her brother in the gut a couple of weeks earlier and, um, and learned about the need to about the power of the cross and about the need to depend on the, on the Lord. We're looking at these pictures and seeing... Um, you guys want to flip the first one up there? These are some of the pictures that I, I actually took in the displays in, in Noah's Ark, which is about two football fields long, <laughs> just short of 600 feet. And inside there's three decks and you get to see all the cages and how the animals fit in there and how science shows that there was a flood all over the whole earth. And then it gives you a little presentation of the gospel, the reason why God did the flood. Why did God do that? Why would a loving God destroy all of humanity, every single human being on the face of the earth, with the exception of one man and his family? A total of eight people were rescued. Eight out of however many hundreds of thousands that were living on the earth at that time. And God wipes out all of humanity, men, women, and children, but, and a flood, and a deluge. And uh, the, the answer to that has to go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, um, Cain murders his brother Abel. Cain is the first man ever born to humanity. Adam and Eve's first kid. And he's a murderer. First child, first act, first act of murder. And he kills his brother. Why? Because his deeds were righteous and Cain's were not righteous. And uh, Adam, uh, Adam's sin brings death to the whole human race. You see that in this, these pictures. We're going through these pictures. And as a result, as time went on and man began to multiply in the earth, you had all of these things. You had war. Uh, now it wasn't just Cain. Now it was whole nations and peoples. Uh, killing, pillaging, uh, raping, uh, destroying, and war. You will never take war out of humanity until you first take the sin out of the heart. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as the person of God and the message of the gospel from the first chapters of Genesis. You will not fix the problems of war and poverty and racism and hatred until you fix the sin that's in the heart. And that's what Jesus did. So you see, this is what God has done. He, he, the whole earth is going to be destroyed. And they, there's men, idolatry, building our own idols that we made ourselves and worshiping them as God, replacing the knowledge of the living God with our own man-made idols. Um, this is a picture of uh, debauchery. It's a picture of, uh, of, of partying to the point of orgy. It's, it's actually an orgy going on there. Uh, our... Uh, absolute wanton use of, of uh, sex and gender um, are all... Oh, uh, how did that get in there? Um, 
uh, I put that in there because I want uh, to, you know, uh, when we come and we, we when I, 95% of the time we're with our grandkids, I'm on the floor rolling around and playing with them and having fun with them on their level. So the moment that these, the moments that I'm sharing with you are one in 1% 1 of the time. And I see the opportunity to share where Jesus comes in and the rubber meets the road. And I'm sharing that with you. But most of the time, I'm just uh, on the floor with them, having fun with them and playing with them. And that's why they love it when we come over, because we're having the same kind of fun that they're doing. But when I began to show her and talk to her about Noah's Ark, something hit, and this is just a couple of weeks after the kick in the gut thing. Um, when we got to this place of the Noah's Ark and that the fact that God told Noah to build an ark because he was going to rescue him, only eight people in total, total are rescued from the judgment of God on the entire population of the earth. That's huge. And when she saw this, this picture just arrested her little mind and her imagination and her heart was just you know arrest just stuck right there and she goes with total sincerity and with gravity and sobriety she goes boy i sure i sure hope that i wish that and hope that i would be on that ark when that comes because she's seen the terror it's black it's darkness the ark is in the back bobbing up and down people are hanging on to rocks they're in the well, there's another photo like this where arms are just flailing in the air as they know that they're drowning and this is half they were warned the building of the ark took something like 50 years there was warning there was prophecy so to speak as you will and that God is going to judge the earth and her heart immediately said I don't want to be one of those people when this happens and she understood she didn't ha i didn't have to i didn't have to convince her that there was enough bad stuff in those people that warranted that i didn't have to explain to her and justify that god was right and just in judging sin she got, is getting that and understanding that she received that she knows that to be true She's now looking to be, I want to be one of those that are on the ark. I sure hope I make it and be on, the one who's on the ark. And boom, God's opened up my eyes. Here's an opportunity again with the same little girl to speak to her that this whole thing that happened, and we're about to go see it Monday, and we're going to be standing in it. It's a complete life-size replica. Was historic history and it was historical because it was a dress rehearsal for what is about to happen at the end when Jesus returns. Yes. And it says that just like 2 Peter 3, in case you want to read it yourself, it says that just like in the days of Noah, Jesus actually said this, as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the days when the Son of Man returns, people are going to be worshiping their idols that they made with their hands, debaucheries. Um, sexual immorality, um, uh, death, war, hatred, man against man, all the kind of violence, all justified in the name of anger and vengeance. And what is going to happen is that God is going to wipe away, come the second time, this time, not with water and a deluge, not with a flood, but with fire. And fire 
is going to is going to destroy all men and it and the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the ark God provided the lamb that was slain and God provides the way of escape from judgment that's coming on all humanity and when we lose that message as the church that the, that there is a judgment coming and and that the people that you, you're in contact with all day, all week long, who don't know Christ, are headed for that, then you have forgotten your message and what your call is and the commission that God's given to you and me. That there, we are on a sinking ship. The Titanic is sinking. It might take a few days, but we're all going to be in the icy waters and there's no escape, and, there is, and we're not in anywhere close enough where a ship can get and rescue us within the next week and a half. But you're going to be gone and expired within a few hours. Imagine that, being on the Titanic and knowing that's what's going to happen. You're not going, are you going to be going up on the third deck and, and dancing in a ball gown? It's going to change when you understand, but we deny that we deny that as a people as an and as the as the world denies it oh god's not oh they've been saying that for years oh that's not going to happen oh god a loving god would never do that but sin has entered into the human race and sin has marred the heart of man and sin has separated us from god but god hasn't left us to that he has provided the way of escape and it's the ark and it's jesus christ is the ark and we have to cling to him if you want any hope of redemption. So what happened back there, and that little, my little girl, she got that. That picture arrested her in her mind. I want to be on that ark. Because here, you know, this is a little picture I got from a little distance, but if you zoom on there, there in, on the left is the lake of fire. This is another picture. This is now people being thrown... Uh, Revelation chapter 19, all those who are not, whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life are thrown into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. You don't want to be there. God did not make us for that, but many are going there because they are not in Christ and have missed that. And that's the only calling card of all of, all of that. There's the ark. Jesus is the ark. He is God's rescue from the days to come, brothers and sisters. Um, there's the first Adam and there's the last Adam. If you haven't gone to the ark, what are you waiting for? <laughs> it's only about five and a half hours south of here on I-75 in Williamstown, Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati. Um, you gotta, you got to go. And it will build your faith and it will give you a greater conviction about the gospel and about why we're here for, do it. If you got kids, bring them and teach them who we are. All of this, putting all this together, the royal law, we're to love each other, and that's got to be real. We're family. When that comes first, when you've got the ro first comes the royal law, the great, com the, thank you, the, uh, gr the great commandment, then comes the great commission. When we love each other, we are family, when the world sees that, they will see and know that you're my disciples. They will see that you've got something they can't get in a workplace 
or they can't even get in their home, their physical family home. It ain't there. But in God's house, there's love because he's there. And when we've got that, we're going to welcome people in, rescuing them from the flames of fire. Amen? God bless you. Love you all. Let's go with the Lord and let, let it be known that God is sending you and he will fill you to reach every single one who needs Jesus Christ, even your own ch children. Would you uh, stand with me and pray together? And then um, thankfully, then we can, uh, again, uh, just, to, just to reiterate that um, invitation, everybody who's here, and especially if you're a guest, those who are guests, we want you to enjoy a meal and sit down with us and have fellowship together with us today. Please don't run off unless it's an emergency, but um, spend some time together in fellowship and let's get to know and love each other today. Father, we're thankful that you love us. That we come to a Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. You don't feel one day this way and another day, another day you're ticked off at us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And your love is forever. It is unconditional and it is everlasting. We long for that because we long for you. We pray that you teach us and show us daily more of you so that we'll see and remember that we're not of this world even as Jesus is not of this world. But he's going to come back and he's going to receive it. And he will weep more than all of us and all of those that are lost drowning in a lake of fire. It's not his plan and his will. And you've called us to reach them with your love and with your grace that was manifested and demonstrated at the cross where you died in my place so I can live with you. Bind us together in your love and may, us, may we be more strengthened with greater conviction on your grace that is sufficient and greater than all of our weakness and all of our inadequacies. Teach us to love as you loved. Send us to the world with the message that is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. That you'll receive all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.